Today on PI Perspectives, we visit the West Coast. Our guest, Kelly Quelo. Kelly jumps on to talk to us about fugitive recovery investigations. She owns and operates B&C Investigations in California. Kelly has a unique perspective on what it takes to do fugitive investigations and how to get started in that type of business. This episode is brought to you by Crosstracks case management software. Crosstracks integrates with programs you already use like QuickBooks, DelvePoint, ScopeNow, Investigation Video Editor, Word, and more. The integrations combined with powerful features such as automated audio transcription and report generation help investigators generate revenue and improve efficiency. The system can be customized for any investigative specialty. Start your free trial today at crosstracks.co and use promo code PIP20. Now let's catch up with Matt and Kelly and dive into the world of fugitive recovery investigations. Here's your host, private investigator, Matt Spare. And welcome everybody to the next episode of PI Perspectives. Uh, this is your host, Matt Spare, and today we are going all the way out to the West Coast. Uh, I want to welcome to the program Kelly Coelho from BNC Investigations in Stanislaw County, California. I don't know where that is. I have terrible geography, but uh, apparently it's somewhere in California. Uh, <laughs> Kelly and I actually met online. Uh, she's a fellow podcaster, and uh, we made some contact and... Uh, her background is doing uh, fugitive recovery before uh, getting into more investigation. So I wanted to talk a little bit about fugitive recovery. So Kelly, welcome to the program. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. How are things out West in California during this time of COVID? Well, <laughs> you know what? We're actually really blessed here in Stanislaus County. We don't have that many cases. It's not that crazy like it is on the East Coast or actually anywhere else in California. We only have a few death cases here, so we're doing pretty good. And, you know, everybody's kind of staying indoors and trying not to get out unless it's really a necessity, right? Right. Um, but other than that, my family's healthy and, you know, things are great. Well, that's good. That's good. I'm glad to hear about that. So BNC Investigations, how long have you been doing that on your own and uh, what type of investigative work do you do? So I've actually had the BNC Investigations for about, I would say about a year like actively a whole year. And I first started like running my business doing fugitive recovery. And I got in that business and it was awesome. I loved it. I've been doing fugitive recovery for about two years and I got into the business. I started down in San Diego. Um, I previously lived down there, born and raised in Stanislaus County, but I moved to San Diego. I was there for about 13 years. That's where I started doing fugitive recovery. Okay. Um, I had went to military training. I came back to San Diego and I'm like, I had some friends that offered me to go work fugitive recovery. I'm like, eh, wasn't sure because I've heard a lot of bad things about it, right. but I'm like, Hey, why not? And the, the pay was really good. So I just got my foot in the door and I started doing, it. I'm like, Whoa, like I actually like this. It's investigations. It's a lot of people don't see it as that, but right. we actually do investigations. So A to Z, whatever it is, you're, you're doing it. So how does one start doing that type of work? How does that come in the door? Who hires you to, to do that work? And what does that look like? If you really want to get into the business, it's about networking with the right people to get your foot in the door. Um, it's not an easy job to do, and it's not an easy job to get. Um, but there are opportunities if you can prove yourself. You have to have your 1299. And there's different certs that you have to have 
in order to be, you know, California compliant to be able to do fugitive recovery work. So okay. one that's powers to arrest, which is PC 32. And then you also need your 1299. Um, you also want to definitely have your exposed firearm permit. You also want to, I mean, not every uh, bail company that does decide to hire you on wants you to have a CCW, but at the end of the day, you know, you also have to protect yourself because you are dealing with all sorts of defendants and you don't know what can happen on your off time. Getting into it is not that hard as long as you make your connections, network with people, talk to people, and then just prove yourself. So typically what happens is a bail company, any bail company can say, okay, we're looking for investigators to investigate these, you know, defendants that are wanted that, you know, skip bail. So they hire you on, you know, you're there for usually like three months and, you know, you come on, they kind of test the waters with you and see how you do. A lot of people do not last. Okay. It's not an easy job to do. Right. Uh, I lasted over a year and actually about two years doing it. Uh, it's not an easy job, but if you can prove yourself, you're, you're safe, you know, you, you're safe, you can keep others safe. It's a lot more than just doing cop work. And sometimes people, their, their, their take on fugitive recovery, sometimes people look at it as negative, but at the end of the day, they don't realize how much work we actually do. Okay. Um, yeah, it's it's a full-on investigation, and people don't understand when we're out there. You know, we're putting our life on the line each and every day. Um, not only that, is we have to go into certain situations that you don't even know what's going to happen on the other side of that door. Right, yeah. And um, so that, you know. So, so like you said, there's some investigations involved. Like, how, uh, what does that look like? And what type of investigative work do you do? Like getting in, getting into it. So let's say you you you're high, you you come in, you're you're working for this bail company, and they've got uh, somebody who's on the on the loose here. Was supposed to show up on April twentieth, and they no showed, and now they're in violation. How do you start? What 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 do you do to get going on this? So what happens is each investigator that works for the bail company, they're assigned a queue of cases. Every bail company works a little different, but I'm going to kind of refer to the companies that I've worked with. Okay. So what happens is you get assigned a caseload, right? And they tell you, okay, you have 30, 30 cases and you basically need to solve each case, whatever it is. So you get that, um, you start, you know, basically preparing your case. That would be to start running background, skip tracing every single person in that family, um, and just kind of just running backgrounds on every single person so you can kind of get to know the person. You have to get to know that person before you actually start working the case because you want to know what you're getting yourself into. Does this, does this defendant that you're going to go and try and get, does he have prior convictions? Does he have anything that's kind of a red flag that, okay, when I go to this home, oh, wait, he has weapon charges. I need right. to be aware of that because so I know what I'm getting myself into. Right. Um, you start by doing that, doing a full background on them, getting to know the person, getting photos, going on their Instagram, going on their Facebook, getting all, gathering all this information and data on them. Basically, OSINT, like, you know, you have to do that full-on investigation and figure out exactly right. every single thing about them so then you could determine who they are and who their family members are. Right. And then from there, you what you'll start doing is you're going to start mapping out exactly where you need to hit. There can be a defendant that he lives in California, but he also has family members in Nevada he stays with. So then you're going to write a whole list of all the addresses that are associated with that person, plus their closest family members and anybody on their application. Because typically, 
when they saw an application, you know, for a bail company, they have to put a bunch of different references. And so you're going to also use those people. Why? Because, well, they put them on there for a reason. If there's a co-signer on that bond, then you're going to definitely want to, you know, investigate the co-signer because guess what? The co-signer is legally held liable for the bond because of the defendant. So if the defendant doesn't go to court, then guess what? Now the co-signer is legally yeah, they're that. probably so more more inclined to, to give them up, right? And I'm not giving my house up. Uh, you know, this guy uh, Tommy's hanging out at Billy's house. <laughs> Don't take my house. Go, go pick him up. Exactly. Yeah, right. yeah exactly. And right. so you know, and so you basically just do your full investigation of you know the family members, the consigners, and everybody like that. You get you start seeing who they're all about. Then you just start executing. You know, you just start after you gather your information and you you build your case and your file. Right. Then you start, you know, going. Typically, we work in a team of two or three people. Depending on the bail company, you could be working with just one other person. If it's another bail company, you can be working with three or four or five people. It just really depends on who you work for. So then you start, you know, obviously, you go out there and you basically start working your case. Every single investigator in the bail industry has their own take, and they're going to work each case differently. Right. Some people are, are really aggressive. They want to hurry up and just get that person but doing this for a year and a half that's always not it's not always the best way to do it and so sometimes they're going to take a lot longer because you have to actually run surveillance Mm -hmm. you have to actually know that some of these defendants you're dealing with are high profile and they do counter surveillance and so when those start things start coming you start being more aware right you start becoming more aware that okay this is not just a little investigation this is going to take a month possibly a few weeks could take a few months. You never know. Right. Yeah. It seems like it's got a real like visceral Pinkerton old school type of feel to it. Like when I hear, you know, fugitive recovery, I, I automatically think of like the wild, wild West or, or, uh, you know, like some sort of West world <laughs> fantasy thing going on over here. It's, uh, <laughs> it's very cool. It's very, very different. So do you typically yeah. work yeah. with like the same agents over and over again, or do you, you mix it up? Uh, are you talking about the bail enforcement yeah, agents? Yeah, bail or? enforcement agents. Like you said, like usually it's a team of like uh, two to three people. Do, do you like recycle on different jobs with the same person or are you constantly bouncing around with other um, agents? So what happens is um, typically a bail company will contract us to come and do work for them. So whatever bail the company that is, usually they have their own team of people. So you're basically just joining their own, you know, the team that they already have. Now, um, if I do a cases on the side that I work, that I contract them directly, then I can actually bring my own agents and I can basically say, okay, well, I'm going to charge you 10% of this bond amount if you want me to locate this person. Right. Um, however, I'm going to let you know that I'm also going to contract somebody to assist me working under my business name. And, you know, typically they're like, yeah, because most bail companies, they know that you need that extra person. Yeah, so um, I can basically work, if I'm working a case that I contract on my own, then yeah, then I can run that however I want. And you just kind of run it by the bail company. They're usually pretty cool with it. That's kind of how that works. So how does it work? Like if you got to go over state lines? I mean, you basically just go and do what you have to do. I don't do much work outside of the state. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to just stay more in California. Right. There is a time that we had a defendant uh, in Hawaii, and I researched his whole Facebook. I, you know, did the whole bit. I, you know, I found out that his girlfriend was there. He was posting pictures actively on Facebook, and you know, we, yeah, we were able to get in contact with law enforcement there and kind of um, 
be able to, you know, it wasn't a huge case like where he needed to come back. So they kind of just did like a site release and then basically he just had to reappear in court on a future date. Gotcha. And so there's, yeah, there's, met, there's things that we can take into place that, you know, law enforcement, for the most part, they usually work with us. So, right. yeah. So it looks like you got to have like a pretty good background in open source investigations and social media research. Like really some, someone who excels at that type of research would probably be somebody who's pretty good at doing this stuff, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, I actually took a really good class that um, one of the bail companies uh, sent me to. Okay. And I learned a lot about, you know, uh, investigating on social media, learning things that I never learned before. But if you can actually just uh, become really good at, open source intelligence investigation, all that stuff, like you're going to become very good. It's not hard. I mean, somebody that's on social media is already a good prospect right. <laughs> because if you're always on social media and right. you know a lot about other people, then right. I mean, it, it's not that hard. People think that it's hard. No, it's easy. You can find out so much about people. It's the power of social media nowadays. Like there's so much on there that people aren't aware of and all the security measures that people, people have to take every day to protect their safety. Like they don't understand how much is actually out there. Right. Right. Okay. So we're going to jump out real quick and just take a, a, a quick break for our sponsors. And when we come back in, I, I want to talk sure. a little more about this stuff and then we'll um, talk about some cases and stuff you worked on. So sit tight, everybody. Okay. We'll be, awesome. We will be right back. PI perspectives is brought to you by scope. Now, have you tried out 3.0 yet? Visit scopenow.com today for more information. Sign up and use code PIP20. Also, be sure to check out the free webinar from Rob Douglas and his team on TikTok Investigations. Kelmar Global is also a proud sponsor of PI Perspectives. A leader in the industry, Kelmar Global has been successfully conducting all types of investigations for our clients since 1989. Specializing in surveillance as well as corporate investigations, insurance fraud, and cases for law firms, Kelmar Global is licensed throughout the U.S. Now contact us at kelmarglobal.com. And please reach out to Kelly Riddle and his team if you need anything covered throughout the United States. And welcome back to PI Perspectives. This is Matt Spare, your host. I am here with Kelly Coelho from BNC Investigations in California. Kelly, welcome back to the program. Thank you. Uh, so uh, we are talking about bail enforcement and fugitive recovery, which are apparently the same thing. I learned that today. <laughs> so <laughs> I really, kind of. yeah, this is really all new ground for me. I mean, I have my my pre preconceived uh, things I've seen in the movies or on TV. Um, so this is, uh, kind of been refreshing and very cool for me. I'm, I'm appreciating the conversation. What do you foresee the challenges of doing this, this type of work post COVID, like post the shutdown, you know, forecasting the future. How, how do you think this type of work is going to change and what are you doing to prepare for it? I don't know if you've ever heard of SB 10. Um, SB 10 is a measure that they're trying to implement, um, or they've already kind of started doing it and basically just releasing defendants from jail that are low level, you know, offenders. When I started hearing about SB 10, you know, what last year, you know, they were talking about, Oh, Hey, bail may go out in California. What are you going to do next? You know? 
And a lot of people were saying, well, it's not going to go through because they don't realize what can actually happen. So what's crazy about that is that now I'm starting to see like they're releasing because they're using COVID as like the excuse to be like, okay, well, because, you know, this virus is going around, we need to keep the jails clean and safe. So we're going to let, you know, these low level offenders, they're going to be released. And so I kind of see that already happening right now, actually. They're releasing, you know, these defendants from jail. But in reality, you know, the sheriff's offices are starting to realize that it's doing them more harm than good. So they're releasing all these guys thinking that, okay, well, we're going to release them because of this COVID thing. But in reality, they're causing more crime out in the road. They're causing more work for our officers, you know, that are trying to protect us. But in reality, they're causing more of a headache for everybody because now what? What's happening? Cars are being broken into every single night. These defendants are getting away with it. Why? Because they're not arresting for them. Yeah. You know, what What can they do? Site release? I mean, they're not going to waste their time. So I'm starting to see the whole like SB10 thing coming into effect right now, even though it's really not has it has not been signed or not even put on the ballot yet. It should be put on the ballot in November. And I feel that a lot of people, if they're if they're actually very aware right now about what's going on, and if they do their research and understand that they're releasing these defendants, and they're it's actually doing us like it's not a good thing. Yeah. It's you know if they can actually realize that, then they're gonna be like, okay, we're not gonna vote for this. Like this is no. Like we gotta understand that we should not be doing this because now we're putting a lot of people at risk. Yeah, There's well, a reason why they're in jail, right? Right, exactly. And, you know, we, we have that situation here in New York, even, you know, pre-COVID, where at the beginning of the year, our governor decided to implement this bail reform. And uh, it, it was uh, it was crazy. People just going out and committing crimes and saying, I'll be out, you know, for dinner. So I'm just going to do what I want to yep. do. And, and I'll take my desk appearance ticket and uh, I'll never show up for that. And I'll go home and have dinner with my family and then go out and loot and steal and... Uh, yeah, do whatever I need to do. So yeah, you have valid concerns. <laughs> I've seen it in three months in New York, really uh, not working so well. Um, but, you know, there's two sides to, to that argument, and there's people going to advocate one way or the other. Um, you know, I can speak from just what I've seen in personal experience that it doesn't appear to be working, uh, or at least the spirit of Correct. what they, they meant for it to happen is not happening. But uh, that's another story for another show on another day and, and all this other <laughs> stuff. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So before we jump into um, some uh, fugitive recovery stories, you do more than just fugitive recovery, right? Uh, I know you do process service and you do some criminal uh, defense work as well, right? Yes, I do. Oh. Yeah. And I know that because I've seen your social media. <laughs> you got to be pretty good with the social media getting the words out. So if you're yeah. on Instagram and you don't know who BNC investigations are, you're just not paying attention. So you're definitely out there. It's all good stuff. So why don't you tell me a little bit about an interesting uh, fugitive recovery uh, experience that you had? Sure. I mean, I have a few, so I guess I'll just narrow it down to one, right? Let's go one at a time here, right? <laughs> um, knock them off. One at a time. Sure. Whew. Okay. We had a guy that uh, he's been, you know, skipping bail and he's pretty wanted even by another agency. And um, I was kind of about, let's see here, I was probably like three or four mm, yeah, three or four months in with this bail company I was working with. And I didn't know, I'm going to be honest, I didn't know a lot about like counter surveillance and like these criminals, like doing things to like kind of like get away from getting caught, right? So yeah. 
when I actually started seeing like this guy that was doing all this stuff, I was like, what? Like, it was so cool to me. And one time, so I'm working this case and I was actually, what I'm really good and known for is convincing people to kind of like setting them up. I'm really good at that in fugitive recovery. Anybody that's worked with me know that I'm really, really good at that. So that's one of my, you know, my strong, strongest areas. So this guy, I convinced his girlfriend to meet me at an office. She shows up and it's not her that I'm trying to get. I'm trying to get the boyfriend and he doesn't come in and it's just her. Well, of course she's kind of just, you know, on the lookout for him. So I'm like, well, where is he at? And she thinks I'm there and I'm like, oh, hey, like I'm unable to make it, but you know, you're going to meet with this other person. And she was like, "Mm." but in reality, I was in the other room watching her. Not only that, I'm on standby in case she leaves. Of course, she takes off. She leaves. She takes like those little scooters, um, goes across the street. One of my partners are already set up outside. He's like, hey, she's leaving. I'm like, okay. He's like, be ready. So we take off. I take off outside. She knew there was something going on. She knew she, I think she kind of felt that, okay, maybe I'm being set up. So she ends up taking off. She goes down the street with her little scooter that belongs to the city or whatever. You know, those ones you run out. It's like one of those bird scooters, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, So she takes her little scooter, goes down the street, goes about a block, leaves it there, and then just walks and just keeps walking. My partner's on radio saying, okay, you know, she's walking here. She's going there. I'm like, okay, that's kind of odd. What is she doing? Okay, well, she's going down the street. Okay, so he was watching her and he's, you know, communicating everything to me on the radio. I'm like, okay, well, what's going on? And he's like, oh, well, she's walking down the street. Okay. So he's just communicating everything to me. I'm like, okay, like, well, what's going on? And so he's like, well, she walked down the street, walked down it like two times, like the, the same street, like twice, and then looks around and gets in a truck. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty odd. So he's like, why don't you take it from here? So I was already in my vehicle at that point. I go, I, I get to where she and my partner at. He, she obviously doesn't know he's there. He's in an under, undercover car. I see her. She gets in the truck and she's taken off. She goes down to the local uh, Panda Express. So it's about two blocks away. So she goes there, parks her truck, goes inside for about an hour and a half. So at this point, I'm parked far away enough where she can't see me. I'm rolling surveillance on her um, with vinyls. She's in there with nobody else, but she gets back into her truck and she takes off. So, of course, I follow her. She doesn't see me. She goes and she goes in this neighborhood, literally a block away from uh, the Panda Express. It's back, back neighborhood. She goes, parks there. I'm, I'm communicating this on, my, on the radio to my partner. I'm like, hey, she's parking. I need you to take her from here. I'm going to go around. I'm going to park where she can't see me down the street and I'm going to watch her. I go down there, park, he's there. Sure enough, I see a male come home literally in like 10 minutes later, looks just like my defendant. I'm like, holy smokes. Like, are you kidding me? And I'm like, I'm getting really excited. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is the house. Like, you know, and so I'm telling my partner, hey, I think this is him, blah, blah, blah. And so after looking at his charges, you know, my, my partner was very knowledgeable and stuff like this. And he's like, we cannot do this alone this guy's going to a fight or B he's going to get down with a weapon. I'm like, okay. So we roll surveillance. We we find out that's our house. This is, this is our hot house. This is where we need to start rolling surveillance. So we end up breaking off about an hour later. We think we hundred percent. That's him. That's his house. That's where he rolls. So we ended up breaking off for that day. We come back the next day. 
we have about five agents with us that day. So we end up going back. We roll surveillance. Sure enough, he's there. He's actually outside working on a vehicle. Uh, so we come, we're there. We kind of make a game plan of how we're going to approach him. Sure enough, five agents, you know, we're there. We come, we start, we make our game plan. When we go to approach him very slow and just very tactical, he tries to buck it. So he starts bucking it. And I stay in my car because I'm like, okay, you guys take him. If he starts running, I'm going to chase in my car and I will be able to block because you guys are, you guys are here. I'm here. And they're like, perfect. So that was our game plan. I was in my vehicle. He starts bucking it. So I'm taking my vehicle. I'm starting to go. And he pulls out a a gun. He pulls out a gun and he goes and he tosses it. Okay. At that point, I thought my partners were going to shoot and be like, okay, we're, he's down. (laughs) But they didn't. And that's, yeah, I really thought they were going to be like, boom, boom, you're done. Like you pulled out a gun, which I I, I commend them for that because if it was any other person, a lot of people would have just been like safety wise. Yeah. A lot of people would have just been like, boom, you're done. Like you pulled something out. I don't know what you're going to do with that, but he ended up throwing it. So he threw the gun. He's trying to run and get away. And he's just so, uh, that he couldn't do anything anymore. So my partners just grabbed him and slammed him on the ground, put his face in, and he's trying to get away. He's still trying to fight off and resist. And, you know, everybody's just, you know, stop resisting, stop resisting. So finally, you know, we get him. He has the weapon. You know, we put it away because we're like, okay, we don't know what this is involved with. So long story short, it it was an awesome experience for me because I had never really seen like that kind of stuff. And it was really, really cool. Great learning experience for myself. Sure. Um, But not just that, is that we were contacted by FBI um, because he had used that weapon um, in some other criminal activities. They asked us, how did you figure out where this guy was? We're like, we just did our investigation. We figured out, we've got, figured out where his girlfriend goes and they're like we've been like they were actively looking for this guy not only that we were contacted by san jose police department like how do you guys how did you guys do this and we were like we just did our job and you know of course i was like i learned from some great investigators of how to do this so i was like wow so they they were very they looked at us and they were like great job like Anytime we called after that to San Jose police, like they knew who we were and they respected us and they were, they had our backs every single time. Anytime we worked a case in their city, they were right there. They, they, there was no questions asked anymore. And that was actually one of the best experiences and learning experiences in my, in my, you know, fugitive recovery career. Wow. That's crazy. That's crazy. (laughs) I mean, I I give you, I mean, that's, that could have definitely gone sideways very quickly. So it's uh, yeah, that's yeah. A, a testimony to this, just to working with people with clear heads because uh, I don't think anybody yeah. would have faulted them if they uh, squeezed off a couple of rounds because <laughs> they saw a gun. So that's good. So give me uh, give me something else. Give me another another story. Yeah, you got me hooked here. <laughs> I'm hooked. I know, right? <laughs> so um, actually, I've shared this story with other people, but you know, since you have a great huge following, and this is a really really good story that I love to share. One of my best experiences and most humbling experiences in my fugitive recovery career, I was going to book a defendant who we had just caught and I went to the, the jail to go do it. Everything was fine. My partner helped me. We got this guy. Everything was good. You know, I was talking to him. Hey, are you okay? 
do you feel like harming yourself? You know, the questions that we normally ask, like, do you feel like harming yourself? Is there anything on you that I should be aware of? You know, we do our pat down. We make sure that there's no weapons on him. We do everything. So once I take him to jail, he's perfectly okay. And I say, okay, well, I just want to make sure you're not trying to harm yourself. Are you feeling okay? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Okay, okay, let's go. So I take him in. And I usually have a really, one thing about being like, a female is kind of nice because sometimes you can actually get when you're talking to males and it's just nice because they open up a lot more to females than they do males. So you got to play with what, uh, what the Lord gave you, right? You got to use it to the best (laughs) of your ability. Yes. So, you know, it's just really nice because a lot of them tend to open up a lot more than, you know, just normal. Like if you're talking to anybody else, which is nice because you can sometimes, you know, these people are still human at the end of the day. You know, not everybody's a bad person, but they maybe make bad choices, right? Right. So you got to remember that at the end of the day, people are still human. You know, we got to have respect for them, even though if they're, you feel like you're a shit bag or dirt bag, whatever, you know, you want to make sure that you still have respect. And um, so I take this guy in, we're going through the whole bit, you know, I'm filling out paperwork, you know, whatever. And then the nurse comes out and does, every jail is different, but at the one we were at, they do the uh, they do the medical clearance before we leave. In some jails, they do it after. So at this one, they did it before, and you know the nurse asked me, "Hey, do you feel like harming yourself?" Yeah, I, I want to kill myself. And I'm like, "Okay, well here we go." <laughs> right. So usually when people say that, you could be there for three hours, okay. three more hours instead of just dropping him off. Now I'm going to have to add three more hours, five more hours, but. It's okay because we got to make sure he's taken care of at the end of the day. Sure. So she's like, I can't take him in. You're going to have to go get him medically cleared. Okay, perfect. So I go back in the car. I said, hey, what's going on? You know, and I'm like, are you okay? And it's like, you know what? He just starts crying. You know, I don't want to live anymore. Like, I don't feel loved and it's not like, hey, like, I just want you to know you're not alone. There's, you know, other people out there with, you know, worse situations. But just remember, you have something greater than yourself. And you got to, and so I'm just being real positive, talking to him and, you know, he's crying and then kind of like, like happy and then crying, happy and then crying. And I'm like, okay, a lot of mixed emotion here. And I know he's probably processing a lot right now. He probably feels like a dirt bag. I said, but you know what, let me just keep talking to him. And so he's just like, thank you so much. Like, so I ended up taking him to the hospital and I sit him, we walk inside and there's a lot of other, you know deputies that are doing their medical clearance. I'm like, man, what is this? Like everybody needs to go do a jail check today at the hospital. So we get there, you know, they help me right away. I tell him, okay, go ahead and sit down. You know, everything's gonna be okay. We're going to get you help right away. And he didn't want it. He just stood up and kept pacing back forth. I said, Hey, look, do me a favor, sit down. He didn't want to sit down. I said, I'm going to ask you again, go ahead and sit down. And he didn't want to sit down. He kept pacing back forth. I said, look, if you're going to try and get away right now, I'm going to tell you right now, you're not going to be able to. So don't even try it with me because, and I had to be stern with him because I'm dealing with a male, you know, right. I don't know what he's going to try and do or what he's capable of doing. So I'd rather, at that point, what happened was my partner had left. He thought that I was okay. So then I ended up contacting him. Hey, just to let you know, you, I went to the jail, everything was good. And then he said this. So in that moment, my partner was already on his way to back me up. He was about an hour out. I said, Hey, meet me at the hospital. So I'm at the hospital by myself. This guy, you know, doesn't want to live, whatever. So him and I, I'm trying to talk him like way down because at this point he's already really, really upset, mad. He doesn't want to, he's banging his head on the, on the wall. 
And I'm like, look, stand up. You're going to be fine. Stop doing this. Like, you're going to be okay. Like, just, you know, relax a little bit. Do you need anything, water, food? So he wanted some food. We gave him some food and like juice and he was okay. But he was just really, really bad mood swings and stuff. And he just started crying and he just said, you know what? I want to say thank you. And I was like, what? He goes, nobody has treated me with respect like you have. And oh, I just felt like, it it was like the weirdest feeling. Like, I'm just like, wow. Like, you know, in, in reality, a lot of fugitive recovery agents, like they're known to be like, super mean to other people. They're, sure. they're known to be like disrespectful. Right. But in that moment, it taught me a lot because what I realized is, yeah, people can be bad people, but you could still treat bad people with respect. Yeah. And you got to remember they're still human. So yeah. you're going to allow somebody else to try and take their life. And so that was just honestly chilling for me. Like yeah. I got goosebumps all over my body. Oh, and that's, uh, you know, he's just like, that's, that's crazy. He was really thankful and just said, thank you so much. And then, after that, you know, I was able to get relief. Um, I was there for a few hours, actually, um, talking him down. You know, he said he didn't want to live. And I was commended by the by the hospital staff and also law enforcement that were present at that hospital basically greeted me outside and was like, "I we just want to say you did a great job. Like, we heard everything you said. Right. And they were like, that's awesome. They were like, that's not easy to do. And then I just was like, okay. Like, because I had really never been in that situation. Like, I was like, well, what do I do? What do I say? And I literally just went with like, okay, I got to keep him calm because I don't want to make him mad and I got to make him feel comfortable. So then he kind of opens up and is, you know, feel comfortable. And they're like, you did an amazing job. And it was just a really, really great experience in my life that um, is very humbling. That's real great. I mean, you you bring up a lot of really good points here. So I think folks that excel in doing investigative work are able to read the situations like that. You know, like so often, there's so many times where as an investigator, you're, you're out in the field and you're doing field work and you're going to a, in, to a situation or maybe a neighborhood that's not the best neighborhood and you don't know what you're going to, you know, what you're going to be in front of in the, in the next five minutes. And, you know, half the battle, in my experience anyways, is how you talk to people, right? You could go into this really bad neighborhood, but if you're treating the people in that neighborhood with the same respect that you would treat your friend or your sister, or your brother or all that, like it... it it gets you so much further in what you're trying to do. Um, you know, I, I've found it, it, you know, when you, when you try and show up as like a tough guy or, or, you know, somebody who's, who's just uh, trying to alpha the whole situation, like you're going to run into problems. People are not going to be willing to help you. And, uh, you know, you're trying yeah. to, trying to convince them to help you and just having that, that positive attitude. So uh, yeah, I commend you on that. That's, that is yeah. a great lesson learned. And it's, it's a definitely a tool as an investigator that you need to, to, um, you know, bring forward your case when you're doing the interviewing and doing all that stuff. So that's, that's a great story. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, uh, okay. that's good stuff. So, um, <laughs> you kind of touched on it real briefly in the beginning, but, uh, I, I just wanted to come back to it again. So you are, um, former military uh, as well, right? I actually, yeah. Well, I still am an active United States army reserve member. Okay. So I'm still actually in the military. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you for serving. No problem. So uh, do you find like in, in the fugitive recovery business that a lot of folks are uh, either former law enforcement or military? Do you, do you feel like that's the type of person that gravitates to this type of work? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay. Um, we do have a lot sense. of, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
well, that, that's great. That's great. I mean, these are definitely some very cool stories and, and good experiences. So we're going to wind down over here. Tell me uh, how folks can get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about this stuff or they uh, are need some work done uh, out in Stanislaus County, uh, California. How do they get a hold of you? Yeah, so um, you can find me on Instagram or Facebook, BNC Investigations, just B and A and D C Investigations. Um, very easy. Uh, I also have a one eight hundred number. You can call if you have any questions. I'm here at your service at one eight 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 two nine nine eighty one twenty five. And my name is Kelly Quelo. If you guys need anything for me, please feel free to reach out. All right. Well, Kelly, this was really a lot of fun. And why don't we uh, let's plug your podcast too. Yeah, um, you could basically just uh, download the Anchor FM. That's where my podcast is. It's the Kelly Quelo Show. I'm actually trying to uh, change the name here, but right now it's the Kelly Quelo Show. Okay. If you want to check it out, there's some really good stuff there if anybody's interested. All right, great. So I appreciate your time. I appreciate everybody uh, for tuning in and uh, joining us this week. And uh, stay tuned for the next episode next week. And everybody, have a good day. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us today. Kelly had some great stories to share and some great insight on how to get started. From being involved in high-stakes recoveries to basic human interaction 101, Kelly seems to have everything covered. Now make sure you find her on social media and follow her posts. We also want to thank Crosstracks, ScopeNow, and Kelmar Global for sponsoring the show. Please, folks, check out their sites and consider using their services. Make sure you use code PIP20 for additional savings. Next week, Matt welcomes retired FBI agent and private investigator Jim Casey to the program. Jim has had a Forrest Gump-like career with the FBI and was involved in some pretty amazing investigations. My mom always said life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. You don't want to miss this one. Please be sure to give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and share the show with your friends. Now have a great week. Stay safe. And thanks for tuning in, downloading, and subscribing to PI Perspectives.